Uh, I'm Jeremy. If some of you who know me don't recognize me right now. I had a run-in with a barber. My brother's like, you should go to this place. And I walk in, and no one speaks English. And I love that. Like, that's cool, but a couple things got lost in translation. It's okay. I'm just going to be confident, and I'm going to roll with it. Well, I'm excited to talk today, actually. Um, uh, this is the second time I've spoke, um, and I think when uh, God gives you something to say, uh, you just have to get it out, I think. And uh, so I think I have something to say. But before I start, I wanted to clarify something, since I have all of your attention right now. I have this problem. Um, one, I'm not really good at small talk. And two, during that small talk, if I'm just talking to you, this has probably happened to a lot of you with me, I just walk away towards the end of the conversation. I just want you to know I didn't mean anything by that. Uh, (laughs) I'm just not very good at ending conversations. I haven't quite figured that out yet, or I got bored, or I thought it was done. So I just kind of fade out like, okay, okay, bye. And just walk away. I'm only 31. I'll figure it out someday. All right, focus, story time. In the beginning of the Capital C Church, crazy things were happening daily. One crazy trend that started taking place was that families started selling their possessions to give to the community to help others who not so fortunate survive. So enter Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias started to follow the teachings of Jesus. He started to hear the Holy Spirit. He started to see things happen in and around him That could only be explained by the power of God. And then one morning, he sat down on his favorite chair like he did every other morning with a fresh cup of coffee. He spent a little time thanking God for what he was doing. He spent a little time in the word of God just reading. And then he just sat and listened to God for a bit. It was during that time that God told Ananias something specific. God said, Ananias, I want you to sell that huge piece of land that you own. And he knew for a fact that he had heard that clearly. So he started thinking, okay, cool, yeah, we can sell it. I'll probably make a little bit uh, more than we paid for it. I could cover my tithe and my taxes, no problem. But then God went on, and he said, I want you to give 90% of all the proceeds of the property sale to the church. And he's like, did I hear that right? And then he heard God even clearer the next time. He said, normally I require you to give 10% to the church, But right now, in this specific moment, I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to give 90% and keep only 10%. So Ananias goes off to work all day just thinking how he's going to tell his wife about how he heard God that morning. And he waits till dinner time, and he's sitting at the table, and he starts to tell her. He's like, Sapphira, I heard God this morning. And it's about selling our huge piece of land. And God said, and she interrupts him, and she says, I think we need to sell it and give 90% to the church. And he's like, what? She says, God told me that exact same thing this morning. And that's the cool thing about marriage, I think. So uh, you just have someone to kind of like, I feel like that God, um, God sometimes will confirm things through both parties, and it's amazing. So 
Marriage is good. That's another thing. Okay. <laughs> so in total agreement, they call up the realtor. And the next day, the realtor comes over, and he inspects the property, and he sees a few things, and he writes them down. And, almost, and only about 30 minutes later, they're sitting on the front porch, and he asks them, how much do you think the land is worth? How much would you like to sell it for? And they say, well, we paid $100,000 for it five years ago. So if we could a little, get a little bit more than that, that would probably be amazing. And the realtor has this little grin on his face, and he's like, I don't know how you missed it. But when I was doing research on the property before I got here, I found that it sits on a great amount of oil. And actually, the, profit, the property is worth at a minimum a million dollars, easily 10 times more than you paid for it. So Ananias and Sapphira just look at each other in amazement because they just knew that at that moment how good and how sovereign God was. And while it was still hard to give the 90% away, they had made a commitment of God, uh, to God to do that, and he had already proven faithful, so they did. And fast forward a couple months later, and Pastor Peter sees them at church, and he asks them, hey, did you guys give all the proceeds of the land to the church? And confidently... They say, no, actually, God told us that we were to sell the land and give 90% back to the church, that we could keep the 10%. It was a bit scary because everyone else around us was giving the full amount, but God had told us specifically to keep 10%. And that was even hard because we were giving away so much money. But check this out. Not only was the land worth 10 times more than we had thought, But just days after the sale was made, we were approached with a business opportunity, and we invested that 10%. And as we stand here today, that piece of land was essentially worth 100 times more than we ever imagined. And now we can just tell the story. We can confidently say that our God is good, and he is faithful. Yeah, we were scared to give away so much money, but look at how good our God is. Look how he takes care of his kids. (laughs) But that's not how it happened. The real story is in Acts 5, 1 through 10, if you want to go there. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay. So the first story, the one that I made up, that's freedom. What it could have looked like if an Ananias and Sapphira were living in freedom. And the second story, the real one that actually happened that we just read, that's fear. So today I'm just going to talk to you about freedom and fear. One of my first 
memories of true freedom came when I dropped out of college. I can still remember it. So just to give you a little background on me, I was never what you would call a great student. Uh, I always had a rough time in school. Uh, I, I don't think it was that I was dumb. Uh, it's probably because I didn't really try, and I like to sleep a lot. Um, but even with not trying too hard, I finished high school in the top 25 of my whole class. And maybe when the admissions office read the, my application, they saw that and like didn't really read on. Because there were, ac- <laughs> there were actually only 26 people in my senior class. Hey. So I come up here for college. And at the time, I really liked the idea of being an elementary teacher. So that's what I decided to pursue until I had to take this class called elementary math, which sounds really easy, right? I failed it. New plan. So then I started asking around in college. I said, do you guys have any idea what the easiest major would be? Um, And I found out that the most broad and basic, and hopefully you're not taking this, but they told me that it was communication or communications. I don't even remember what it's called exactly. Well, I didn't do so well in that either. You see what happened was, and it's not my fault. Well, maybe it is. But this thing had just been invented called the Facebook. It was just too exciting. So anyways, during this time, I had also just discovered a love for music. Um, I started playing the guitar all the time, and immediately songs started flowing just out of me, and I'd never felt anything like it. Um, I started writing then, almost 15 years ago, and I knew that I had found it. I had found who I was. I had found my true heartbeat. So fast forward a couple years of college and taking certain classes multiple times, not because I had failed them, actually because I had passed them. I started taking classes over to keep my GPA up. (laughs) Did you know you could do that? Pretty smart. I was basically a freshman for the third year in a row. Well, there I was, a third-year freshman. I started wondering if college was really a good idea for me. Probably could have figured that out earlier. But I started asking myself real questions, like, what, what do I actually feel moving me? I was growing with God and feeling him move me. I was growing at music and feeling that move me. And then one day I woke up and realized, school just isn't for me. Duh. I wasted a lot of time. So I remember what happened next so clearly. My brother was working at a bank here in Greeley, and I drive over in my purple minivan, and I get to his office, and we just sit down, and we just start talking about it. I tell him how I'm feeling, and if you know my brother, he is super smart and very sensible. And so I was expecting him to try to convince me to stay in college, to keep trying But he did the opposite. He got pumped for me. He said, you have to be you. You have to do what you love. And that's freedom. I think I went in talking with him, thinking he would convince me to stay in college or that I could be making a huge mistake. Instead, he gave me full freedom. He gave me an open sky, and he gave me permission to dream more. And that's freedom. So next, I called my dad. Probably a little nervous of what he was going to think, too. Uh, but I'd just been given so much freedom from my brother that I was feeling more confident. So I get on the phone with my dad, and I say, Dad, I'm dropping out of college. 
I'm going to pursue music, just see what happens. And this is what I remember him saying. He told me, he said, I'm so proud of you. He said, I'm proud that you made it this far. In fact, I'm actually a little surprised you made it this far. <laughs> he actually did say that. He says, but then he said, I always knew you weren't really made for school, but that I'm proud of you. And that's freedom. You see, it would have been so easy for them to speak fear over me. It could have been really easy for him as a parent to be worried for his son. And he may have been, but he didn't show it. Like, you, could, you couldn't even blame him if he was concerned, right? Like, if he spoke something feel, fearful over me. But he wasn't. He was fully trusting that God had made me this way on purpose. And I believed that little bit of freedom from my brother, from my dad, from a few others in my life changed me forever. In Proverbs 18, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So we have the power of life and death just by the words we speak. If my brother and my dad would have been living in fear, they could have told me all the ways I could fail or all the ways I was making a huge mistake. I mean, let's play that out a little. So I go over in my purple minivan. I tell my brother I'm going to quit school, and I totally value his advice. So when he tells me out of his fear for me that I should just stay in school and find another major maybe, get a normal job, so I do that. I do something contradictory to where God is pulling me. I don't write music anymore. I stop singing. I stop being me. My story gets a whole lot different. And I'm not by any means, not by any means saying a normal job is bad. I'm just saying for me it was wrong. Because that's never been me. So don't let your fears stop others from being the best. And don't let your fears stop you from being the best. I want to read another passage. I'm going to kind of read it fast but I think it illustrates another thing that fear can do. It's in John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world... I'm the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, then they asked him why, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are his fellow's disciple, this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. How exhausting was that? (laughs) Do you realize how short this passage could have been? It could have went like this. There was a man that was blind from birth. Jesus saw him, walked up to him, grabbed some mud, put it on his eyes. The man walked to the water, washed it off, and could see. The man immediately started to praise God for his goodness and power. The Pharisees then started to praise God for his goodness and power. Everyone around praised God for his goodness and power. The end. That's it. When we live in a posture of fear, in a posture of unbelief, we can turn an exciting, simple story of God's goodness and power into a lengthy, drawn-out, questioning, thinking the worst, expecting the worst, on and on and on and on. Like, we can kill the wonder. We can kill the excitement with all of our questions, with all of our doubt. When we live in a posture of fear, or specifically fear of man, We see that everyone around us is giving up their land for the church. And we don't want to look stingy, so we say that we sold our land and gave all the profits to the church when we didn't. When we value the honor of man more than we value the honor of God, we turn an amazing story of God's provision into a story of self-preservation and deceit. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. When we are living in freedom, when we are in God's presence daily, when we are constantly pursuing him and his voice, we can be so confident in our steps. We can be bold as a lion. With no fear of what others may think of us, because our goal is to please God, not man. If God told Ananias and Sapphira, and I made that up, I'm making this up, but it's just a I'm just thinking, if God told Ananias and Sapphira they could keep 10%, then they should have confidently kept 10%. Even when everyone else is doing something different, the words of God trump everything else. And don't use what the world does as a marker for what God might do, because he regularly and most often uses other ways and means to achieve his plan. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. One of my favorite things about our pastor Aaron here is that he is a man who trusts God. He is a man of freedom. So when we were just beginning Church Project, um, I think we were about a year in. We had roughly 10 to 15 people total, and five may have been in the band. Something crazy happened, and uh, I started actually getting pursued for this job uh, 
to be a worship leader at another church of about 30,000 people. And as you can imagine, I thought that would be amazing. They were writing a ton of music. They had an insane amount of resources. Like everything lined up in my dreams uh, for what I wanted to do. And there were like more than 10 people there. (laughs) I, I was just thinking that would be so cool. This is how cool Aaron is. I went and talked to him about it. I said, hey, this other church is pursuing me. They want to interview me, blah, blah, blah. And I was, like, half expecting him to, like, warn me because he had been a part of big church and seen, seen some bad things, seen a lot of good things, but I thought he was going to warn me or try to keep me here. But he told me to go for it, and not in an underhanded way either, not in any fear at all. So even at the risk of losing me, which is crazy, not, not like that. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I just meant, like, you know, anyone, anyone in general. That's what's so cool about him. Like, he wants the best for each individual person, even at the risk of losing something from this church. That shows faith. Faith that God will provide someone better if I would have left. Faith that, that God will keep doing his work no matter what changes. That right there is living a life of freedom. And I think that's how we need to be as believers. Always wanting the best for each other. Not comparing, not trying to control things, but living in freedom. That feels like Jesus to me. So we have a choice. We can choose fear or we can choose freedom. Free people living in the freedom that Jesus paid for will change the world. When you are living and breathing and being the person that God made you to be, you give others the permission to live that way as well. So I'm going to end with a, just a practical way to achieve this. There probably are a million other ways to do this, but this is what I found works best for me. I wake up. I make a cup of coffee. I sit in the same chair. I put my blanket over my legs. My little dog, Samwise, jumps up and sits next to me. And I have my journal and my Bible and my devotional there. And I read. And I write down thoughts. And then I ask God, I say, what do you want to say to me? And when I feel him telling me things, I write them down. And at first this was super scary because I don't know why, but in the church we think that when God talks to us, he's going to tell us something like different than his nature and different than who we were made to be. But almost every single time I hear something from him, he just reminds me how much he loves me. How proud he is of me. Or he'll confirm that I'm in the right place. Or I'm running the right way. Or he may have me shift and run a different way. But the only way I've found that I can truly be free and truly live in freedom is that. It's starting every morning with the Lord. And being reminded every day by God, by his word, who he is and who I am. So start start tomorrow morning. Just sit with God. Just listen to him. Because what he has for you is good. So there you go. You have a choice. Choose freedom.